radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Welcome to Talking Real Money. I'm Don McDonald. A quick apology. We should have had a podcast on Monday. We typically do, and it is typically a uh, an edited version of our Saturday show on Como Radio. Then the second hour becomes Tuesday's podcast, today's. Again, edited version of the Como Radio show. Well, once again, for the second time in like a month and a half, Como had a problem with their recording technology. So we didn't get the podcast. They said they're still working on it, but my guess is we won't get it. So you get a new one today by me. And um, some of your questions, too, coming up that you've called in to 855-935-TALK or you have written out. Well, let's see. You recorded them at TalkingRealMoney.com. You didn't write these. These are recorded ones. But first, I know, I keep beating this dead horse, but this dead horse keeps getting a lot of press and I don't want this dead horse to collapse on top of you. The horse I'm beating dead horse, it's dead horse. I wouldn't beat a live horse, uh, is uh, Bitcoin and it's weird relatives. Um, there was a great piece in Barron's recently about the dangers of Bitcoin and, of course, other cryptocurrencies. Now, the argument for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but particularly for Bitcoin, is that it is a somehow considered by some to be a relatively safe store of value. Now, remember, there are only 21 billion, no, I'm sorry, 21 million, <laughs> I was going to give them more credit than they deserve. 21 million Bitcoins with a current market value of about $600 billion. Now, to put that in perspective, a currency worth just $600 billion? Well, the yen is worth $117 trillion. That's the Japanese currency. So... Uh, Apple's worth $2 trillion. So it gets more press than it deserves because the crypto fiends are very vocal. Very, very vocal. And with good reason. They want to keep it in front of you, the greater fools that they hope to take advantage of to make money. They claim it has great uses and a incredible intrinsic value and that it's going to be a wonderful medium of exchange, which I don't get. Can you imagine going out and trying to buy things with a Bitcoin? Uh, that uh, it is somehow a store of value and will keep its value. That's the one I'm going to come back to. Oh, and that it's a, a good hedge against government-backed currencies. That's really only if you believe that the global economy is going to completely melt down. And I know there's always a group of you who do. You have for as long as I've been doing radio. You've said, oh, it's all over, but the shouting. And it hasn't happened yet. But before I get to the Barron's argument, let me address that one again. So you're saying that Bitcoin will save you when the dollar and the euro and the pound and the ruble and the yuan 
all of these currencies collapse, throwing the... Now, remember, if all the currencies of the global economies collapse, what is that going to do? Well, it's going to send the world into a crisis uh, in which a lot of people will die, in which a lot of what happens in the world will stop happening. And one of those things that's likely to stop is the internet, the computers. It's it's not an area that people are going to spend a lot of time working on because they're going to be spending a lot of time eating and killing someone else to eat. I, I, not cannibalism, but just, you know, get your food. Isn't it likely that the internet is going to collapse under this kind of global pressure? Making Bitcoin essentially worthless, essentially of no value. How can it be a store of value? But let's skip that argument for a minute. Let's go to this wonderful argument that Barron's made recently. This was, uh, what was the issue? I've got it right. I had it right here. Oh, here it is. This is a different page. This is from July 10th by a Sean Tully. And uh, he and his uh, colleague ran some numbers on Bitcoin. Interesting numbers. Measuring its volatility. Now, most of you will, and I do, consider stocks to be a, an incredibly volatile asset class. But you're rewarded, or at least you have been rewarded over the past century or more, with outsized gains for taking on that volatility. Bitcoin in the past year has fluctuated dramatically. It has been, uh, let's see, its variance, the difference between the high and the low price. The smallest variance on a, in a day was 2.5%. And... In many days, it was it was a 15% swing. Now, let's compare that with stocks. Since the start of 2021, the biggest daily swing for the Standard & Poor's 500 was 3 and a third percent. <laughs> that ties Bitcoin for the sixth most stable day of Bitcoin. The sixth most stable day was the same number as the S&P 500's most volatile day. Bitcoin, over the first half through July 7th of 2021, was eight times as volatile as the S&P 500. Does that sound like a safe store of wealth to you? How about gold? Gold is considered a safe store of value, but gold's been pretty volatile. The biggest shift it had uh, between the high and the low, the biggest variance was 4.9%. The next highest Variance for gold was exactly the same as the largest 
swing in prices for the S&P 500. So stocks have been even less volatile than gold and more volatile than gold and stocks, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is not safe. It is not a stable currency. It is not a recognized currency. It is not even safe as a, as a, as a means by which to protect yourself in the worst case scenario. I've often said, if the planetary economy completely falls apart, which by the way, it's never done in eh, 10,000 years, roughly of civilization, never done it. Uh, if it did, you're not going to want gold. You're going to want food, but you might want gold. I mean, you will probably, you would probably take gold over Bitcoin because if you're starving again, you're not likely to have a working computer and an internet to move money around. This is just a dumb, 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 dumb idea. It's really a dumb idea. It just gets dumber and dumber all the time. And again, I know all you weird crypto freaks, you're all going to argue with me because you always do because you've got a vested interest in arguing because your wealth depends on it. I get it. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, blockchain. Sure. I get blockchain. It's a, it's a ledger. I get it. It's an electronic ledger. It has some good points, but still, like anything else, it can be exploited and manipulated and robbed blind. So it's not the be-all, certainly not the end-all. And currencies, the actual government-backed currencies, like, likely to be around past my last days on this planet. So again, just stop. Let's just stop. Can we just stop talking about Bitcoin? Can we just stop? It's only worth $600 billion. Just stop. All the cryptos together are worth about a trillion, maybe a trillion plus, but not much more. Apple's worth $2 trillion. Let's put this thing in perspective. 855-935-TALK is our phone number. 855-935-8255. Love to hear from you to take your questions and answer your questions here on the program much like, oh, let's say this one. Hello, Don and Tom. My name is Brian. Thanks for taking my question or not. I just appreciate you guys having this number. My question basically is, what is the best way to hold fixed income in a taxable account over at a brokerage? A taxable account. What's the best way to hold fixed income? Now, uh, as I said, my name is Brian. I got about 30 years until I'm going to need this money. My goal is to save about 10000 a year and invest that money. Of course, I'm maxing out my IRA first, so 6000 of that ten is going into the IRA, and the rest, the 4000 would need to go into a taxable account. Uh, that's basically it. My strategy, though, in the IRA is the Merriman Aggressive Target Date Fund. The reason I don't want to do that in my taxable account is because I don't want to sell and buy every year because that creates a taxable event. And I live in California. I don't want that. 
I don't want to give away that money every year. So I'm going to have, I'm going to have a balanced fund. That's my strategy for the taxable account. So what is the best way to hold the fixed income? Do I hold it outside of the taxable account in something like a MIGA or a CD or a high-yield government, as I just heard you guys talk about? That's my question. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Thanks, you guys. Well, let's see. Fixed income in a taxable account. Depends on your tax bracket. If you're high bracket and in California, you might want a California tax-free municipal bond fund, which Vanguard has. Uh, Otherwise, if you're not in a particularly high bracket, just own it. Just own it in a uh, intermediate term, short intermediate term, high quality bond fund with low expenses. Yes, you will have tiny little income distributions on which you will have to pay taxes, but they will be tiny. They will not be big and taxes are part of the game. You're going to pay them one way or the other. However, at 30 years old, take the risk quiz. Find out how much you really need to have in fixed income. I don't think you're going to want to have very much unless you're a very conservative investor. So you may want to have stocks both within and without your tax-managed accounts. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. 855-935-TALK is our phone number, or send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com, or even speak them there like this one. Hey, Don. Hey, Tom. This is Kevin from Chicago. Hope you guys are well. Uh, Hey, I had a question on our 529 college savings plan. Um, My wife and I are both 38 years old. Uh, We have a six-year-old and a one-year-old. each of them, each of my kids have a 529 account through the uh, Illinois Bright Start um, and have a combined balance of about $35,000. Um, I've never been a huge fan of monthly payments. So instead of doing monthly contributions, I was considering doing one-time $20,000 contributions per year for the next three years. Um, That would give us an additional $60,000 in contributions, which would bring the combined total up to around $100,000 before any additional growth, um, and then have another 10 years to grow. Um, With the way that I'm paid through my job, I I get a significant portion of my annual salary in March and April, so that's when I would do those contributions. Uh, and then the logic behind the $20,000 per year is that we're in Illinois and we're allowed up to, to deduct up to that amount on our taxes uh, per year. Uh, as a side note, I am also managing my mother's portfolio and her estate since my father recently passed away. And I know she is also setting aside an amount for uh, the grandkids' college. Um, of course, I'm not really relying on that since you know we don't know what the future holds, but that could be some uh, potential extra help there. So just curious, what do you guys think of this plan? Any immediate concerns? Are we contributing too much? Um, Appreciate any advice that you guys have. Uh, Appreciate the help as always. Thank you. Thanks for the call. And uh, you're not doing anything wrong. I kind of like the idea of just putting it in rather than having it sit around doing nothing, get it invested. However, If you and the kids' grandparents are making contributions for two children's college education in the way you're doing it at their ages, wow, what kind of school are you sending these kids to? Uh, I hope, here's, and you didn't say, but here's my, my hope, is that 
I know we love our children, and I, I have four. I love my children. But, and, and one of the mistakes we often make is to spend too much money to build a future for them, and we neglect to properly build the future for us. So I hope that this 20 grand is not detracting from your retirement contributions. I think maybe once you get another 20 or 40 in these accounts with the amount of time you have for them to grow, plus the grandparents' money, that your kids are going to be in pretty good shape for almost, almost any college they want to go to. Um, So then I would really go back to focusing heavily all of that money, even if it's outside of tax-deferred accounts on your retirement, your future, because you can spend it on them if you want to, but you get a little bit more flexibility. I, 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 20 grand, get the tax deal. Yes, please do that for at least a couple of years. But past that, I think retirement should always be the number one goal. If you're really well set for that, then yeah, you can continue to do this until you have enough to send your kids to uh, the finest Ivy League college all the way through their doctoral programs. (laughs) But you you got a lot right now. And given the time you have to grow it and the money coming in, I I can't see how you will be be in anything but great shape education-wise. Thank you so much for your question. We appreciate it. That was sent in at TalkingRealMoney.com. All right, let's take one more that was recorded at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, guys. Great fan of the show. My name is Lance. Um, I'm going to keep this question as simple as I can because in the end, I believe it's just a math equation that I cannot computer comprehend. Long story short, I'm 37 years old. I just started a new career in a whole new field with a small company. Um, looking to make probably around 50,000 my first year and could go up from there. Um, the benefit is they do offer a 401k, uh, which is great. Um, I do a lot of my own investing on my side, on side through Vanguard or Fidelity. I'm very good at uh, putting money away through that. Uh, The downturn on that is the company only matches 25% of up to 6% of what I put in. Um, The other downside is that I believe it's through Mass Mutual, American Mass Mutual. Um, So my question in the long term is it beneficial for me to still get that company match uh, through the 401k or would I make more in the end just putting money out of pocket from my paycheck to through a Vanguard or a Fidelity? Um, thank you for your time. Any help on this would be great. Bye. Oh, too bad your employer has somebody who sells commissioned products some friend or something that's the way this works uh however you're right it's a math problem and if you put six percent in and you get 25 percent that's that's literally a 25 percent return on your investment the first year and if you stay with the employer for five years that's an extra five percent per year so the funds that they have could really suck and you're still going to be okay. See? And at 37, I doubt this is your forever job anyway. So then when you leave, 
you can transfer that 401k into your own IRA, get it into better products for you. So, yeah, I'd probably do enough to get the match, or at least get some of the match, because I hate turning down free money. While I know that the account will be more expensive, that you will very likely make less than you would at Vanguard or Fidelity, it's going to be hard until you get out to a decade to match or to deduct the benefit that you're getting from the free money. So take the free money. Absolutely. And maybe talk to your employer about going with Vanguard or Fidelity. You might even want to grease the wheels after you've been there for a while and, you know, get them to send some material over to your boss to see if there's uh, because remember your boss is also being hurt by these higher expenses and the commissions probably thanks so much thank you all for being a part of the podcast i apologize for the saturday show being missing i hate it too it was actually it was pretty good show i i i hope we find it but in the meantime please tell a friend or two or ten and if you really love what you hear go to apple Podcasts and leave a review even if you don't listen on apple Podcasts, you can still go there and review it and let's see what else oh and if you need more complex help you want somebody to sit down with you and go over the hodgepodgery that is your portfolio look at your portfolio you'll agree it's probably a mess right it's bits and pieces of stuff you got all along the way and you, you don't know how they fit together and you don't know what they cost Set up an appointment with one of our advisors. I can promise you several things. One, their job is to educate. Two, they will meet with you once for free. There is no obligation whatsoever, and you will not be subject to a high-pressure sales pitch ever. Promise. 100% promise. Try it. Thanks for being there. Take really good care of yourselves. And uh, we'll, oh, by the way, we have a, a, a Paul and Tom and Don podcast coming up this week. And again, another Don and Tom one. So we've got, we'll, we'll have a lot of good podcasts for you. So just keep listening. Thanks for being there. Take good care. I'm Don McDonald, just hanging out, talking real money. Talking real money. That the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So, past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap. <laughs>